Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobile World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. This is episode 17, recorded on April 21st, 2021. And our guest this time is Leo Gideon, the director of sales for Monix, a world leader in contactless payment systems, an area that's seen major growth in the age of COVID. Leo will be here in a second. But as usual, we start with Grant and his news. This is the part of the program a lot of people seem to like. It's you going off on all kinds of different tangents about what's happening in the world of technology. What have you got for us this time? I, I um, I'm going to stay a little calmer than usual, Alan. Um, <laughs> because, you know, once in a while, people want to actually see things they understand. Um, but uh, no, it's some good news, though. Um, I don't know if you know, but last year, the Seoul Metropolitan Government, uh, and we know that a lot of technology comes from Korea, announced it would be doing smart polls. And, and I'll tell you what that is in a minute. And the reason I bring it up is now out there and being instituted. So um, smart polls um, they are, are just like you think, street polls, um, but they do much more than act as a street facility for like lights, traffic lights, uh, CT. But what they do now is they manage the whole smart infrastructure in the urban technology. So in this poll, they have everything. It runs these uh, public Wi-Fi. It has CCTV. It has stoplights. It has all the Wi-Fi internet for people to use. It has a smart crosswalk and the new functions. It has the top of the pole for charging drones and the bottom of the pole for charging electric vehicles then it detects cars for parking violations. So essentially what you're doing, as you can see, you're bringing the whole solution, a one-step solution into a smart city. Uh, so think of things it can do as well as, you know, even searching and monitoring disasters and rescue functions. And it just never stops. And so this is now running uh, and they're slowly rolling it out in, in Korea, in Seoul. So this gives new meaning to the term utility pole. Yeah, it does. It does. And I think that, uh, hey, hey, Alan, I want to keep, I want to say it's happening here, but it's not. But I think that the influence will happen. And I think that one day, this is a progression that I don't think what we're talking about is shocking, other than it's already out and running. Yeah. And it's a capital expenditure for that, that a lot of other jurisdictions won't really jump into just yet. So you want to see a city like Seoul provide a proof of concept, and then maybe we'll follow, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and 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 this the the next subject I'm going to talk about is uh, something we all well I think most of us live, um, and and we'll say that this is about traffic and congestion. Um, and you might say, in the general words, uh, traffic is evil. You might say. Um, Yes. And there's an element of truth to that. Um, as you know, that uh, most studies show that we have gridlock, that we endure at least twice a day, which you know. And yes. we know that kills productivity. Uh, we know about the environment. Um, of course, we know about road rage. And we know how it stresses people out. Um, 
And it, you know what? I'm going to tell you something that we don't know and, and we may not be following. It can turn vibrant cities into isolating, frustrating places. And, um, and I'll give you an example. Um, if you don't know, and you may know this, and the average LA commuter spends 81 hours per year in the traffic. Right. And apparently in Toronto, it's even worse. I'm just trying to give you the stats right. I have. Okay. So um, eight, and and what, what, 81 hours. Um, the average, I'm not saying the average commuter, their average driver. Right. Big difference. Okay. Yeah, when you say how people who drive commute up to 40 miles away, this is it. That's different. Very different. Um, so this is a lot. This is a very high number. Um, so, it, so this is time spent in, in gridlock or in super heavy traffic where you're going you nowhere. You got it. And, okay. and here's now, now let's bring this closer to home. Okay. So McMaster did a study in Ontario. It shows the drawbacks of traffic, okay? And where they send people that spend more than 35 hours in traffic, job growth slows down, okay? I know, this is, this is intriguing, because look at what we're in right now. So people began to demand higher wages because they're either, they either live closer to the workplace or make their commutes worthwhile, okay? Value employees may not be willing to put up with that, the commute. Essentially, it creates less growth in a city. They say, I'm gone. I'm gone. And they move out. And so essentially what happens is you see the, the, the desertion of the urban city as we know it today. I well, know it he- sounds terrible, but, but Alan... Think of it. <laughs> now, we're, we're hearing stories about New York, how people are leaving Manhattan in droves. We hear stories about how people are moving from Toronto to the suburbs because they don't want to be within close proximity of each other and because they don't like the traffic. And I would imagine it's the same in, in many other cities around the planet. Yeah. And remember, I'm not, I'm not assimilating this at all to COVID, but I think it's a good time to talk about it, okay? Because as you, we all know, Traffic jams have always been a problem. Congestion has all been a problem. And by the way, we haven't even talked about stuff like um, cleaner air. People want cleaner air. People want a lot of other things. And of course, environment is a big issue. But I haven't even brought that up until now. But what you have to understand is if we don't solve congestion, we could, in fact, ruin our own urban cities. Okay? We thwart people from coming there. We thwart people who want to move away. We don't like the, the environment. We don't like all this. Now, you know, in a shopping mall, we love it to be congested, <laughs> right? What does that mean? More business. But congestion in a, in a traffic means less business, less well, productivity. We, right. I mean, <laughs> and if you, if you want to see how bad it can get, go to Bangkok, go to Lagos, Nigeria. Uh, right. Go to Mexico and I'm City. sorry, it's way bigger elsewhere. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and you're right. It, it's, it's crazy. But so, the point I, is, there's, there's, this, there's, this, there's this, eco- this equality of matching. Uh, where, do we, where is the equilibrium between the ecosystem that allows people to travel smoothly, efficiently? And that's where all this whole infrastructure ties in together. And people don't understand. Where does it start? The transportation network. All right. Now, I have a question about the transportation network. I want to hear your opinion on this. Uh, with COVID, we have a lot of people moving out of busy cities. We have more people working from home. Um, there are those who will say, well, why are we bothering to 
build out transportation infrastructure like uh, like new roads or subways or other transit solutions. What do you say to them? I say it easy. Um, now, you are talking now of North America. Yes. Because remember, I don't care what you do in these other places, they're always going to have gridlock, okay? But let's talk about North America. First of all, we're assuming that we're, that there's not going to be everyone going back to work and, and business normal. And I agree, but the hybrid's going to be there. So remember that. There's still going to be lots of people. Schools coming back. Universities downtown are going to reopen. But, but I think all this has done COVID is attack the problem that was really bad before. And so let's look at that. Um, the transit lines are empty. How are you going to fill them back up? Okay, they're all taking cars now. So it's not, and, and no one's working. Alan, I'm going on the highway and saying, where are all these people going? The police are going on the highway and saying, we got to start spot checks when, thank God, they're not doing, because yeah. we don't understand what happens on the highway. I don't think the infrastructure built 20 years ago can handle something five years ago, never mind today. So, yes, I agree. But remember, you're, you're attempting building all the roads. I'm saying build everything. Better transit facilities. Use EV sh- uh, car sharing. Use EV. I'm saying all of those form it. Yes, less cars are doing this, but more are going to do car sharing. It's still the streets. The streets have been obsolete 10 years ago. Not mm-hmm. like this year. All we've done with COVID is said, okay, because this is happening you know what? We can do these great new things where before there's a lot of pushback. No, no, I'm going to drive in my car and I'm taking no one with me. Well, that's kind of changed now. And so, yes, um, there are changes, but I, I totally believe that uh, the bottlenecks continue even if we do um, stay with the work from home. My opinion. You got anything else? Yeah, I got one more thing because um, uh, we do things in threes here. Because I'm trying to get things more mainstream. And I think this is, we talked about, you know, we talked about this and it probably will come up in our podcast today. Um, And that is, we were talking about payments. Whole Foods has now expanded their palm scanning payment system throughout the stores in Seattle. Wait, palm, stop, stop, stop. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Palm, Palm scanning? Okay, so, yeah, they started it before, and I'm sorry, um, Alan, but Amazon One, as you know, were those stores that they had where you could shop with no people there, and they had palm scanning devices. Now, Amazon One didn't fly the way everyone thought it would, okay, but it's making a comeback. Why? I got to think again, COVID, um, but it doesn't matter the reason. So essentially, you can walk up, put your palm print, and it will scan and it's tied to your credit card. Oh. <laughs> I've okay. never heard of this before. Well, the way you register the first time is you go, you scan your palm, you insert your credit card, it ties the two together, and you're now linked as a, what we call as, you know, do authentication. Um, and that's now out. Uh, now, the downside to that is I'm touching my palm on a screen. Now, the argument will be you don't have to. You can just get it close. Okay, I get all that. So I think that more so what we're seeing now is the future of the using more of the um, bio uh, e-commerce 
that we all think will be the future, where you're taking DNA of, of, of people or things and attaching it to a payment. And therefore, we are getting a much, well, first of all, a much quicker service, which is exactly why Amazon did it, by the way. Uh, and then also a more secure. So as you know, Amazon have always been one to make a transaction better, simpler, easier. That is their forte. And what they've done now, they've made it more secure as well. So I'm sorry, I didn't know you know that. But yes, no. it's coming out now. And um, Well, I'm, and, you know, now, now that you pointed something out, I thought it was always kind of a bit weird that, that Amazon would have purchased Whole Foods. But now I see they're using it as a test bed for all kinds of other things, more than just selling food. I, I think that um, Amazon does nothing for something simple. They are so far ahead. I'm not promoting Amazon here, but we, you know, we've had Amazon on the podcast and they're an amazing company. Quite frankly, they always have an idea long-term. They're thinking five years ahead of where we're going to be. And yes, Whole Foods was an application that they saw would grow by doing it. And I think they'll add more things to it. They'll add more stores. You know, it's just another thing they're doing. And I think long-term, you'll see this application everywhere. Okay, look in your wallet. How long have those bills been sitting there unused? When was the last time you used any kind of cash? COVID has accelerated a shift in the way we pay for things. Instead of bills and coins, it's cards that we touch to terminals. Monex is a world leader in these kinds of payment transactions, and Leal Gideon is the director of sales. I've seen the logo, I've seen the name, but I'm not sure what Monex is. Can you help me out with that? Of course. So uh, Monex Group has been providing innovative payment solutions for merchants for 20 years now. Uh, when we first started, it was in the ATM business. And then we evolved our solutions from ATM to the latest generation that you would find in store, the wireless devices to be able to take payments, um, online e-commerce payments, mobile payment apps, uh, QR codes, and of course, the unattended readers that we have for the self-serve kiosks, kiosks and stations. So, you know, the payment marketplace is never static and we're always involving our technology and product lines uh, to make sure that we're meeting the uh, dynamic and fast-paced environment. Now, obviously, something like this has uh, this kind of technology has been very important during COVID. I mean, <laughs> uh, what, what have you done to adapt during the last 15 months when it comes to these secure payment transactions? Absolutely. So... Now, I don't know if uh, you're aware, but in 2016, we solidified our position as a market leader. We were the first in North America to launch the contactless-only payment terminal that processes Visa, MasterCard, Interact, Google Pay, and Apple Pay. And that's after realizing that Canadians absolutely love their contactless payments. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, we almost never use cash anymore. No, of course not. Um, this is... But she even went further. She went uh, tap and go. So they went to contactless payment. Everyone still has, even today, still has the combination of thereof. Um, and some had nothing. But uh, Monix was, uh, I assume, the first to come out with, uh, we'll, we'll call it, you know, we'll contactless or uh, frictionless payment. Yes. As a matter of fact, the solution was fully contactless. Now, you'll you'll find different devices in the marketplace that may also still take chip, they'll, they'll take swipe or you have to enter a pin. Our device was the first contactless only 
um, to, to come to market. Uh, so, and it's actually revolutionized the entire micropayment market. So when we introduced a solution that didn't even exist before in the air and vac, at the gas stations, uh, in laundry facilities, at the multi-apartment housing, car washes, game, gaming, vending, as you know, parking, right? So where coin was once a method of payment, we integrated contactless readers that, you know, once you tap with your card or mobile wallet, it just activates the hardware. Um, now, we already know that Canadians love their contactless, obviously, but it, it became way more popular after the unexpected COVID pandemic. So since then, you'll find that even more, more so. So according to MasterCard's 2020 study, now eight in 10 global consumers use contactless. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, they just prefer the, the frictionless experience keeping it clean, right? Uh, it's it's a safer buying experience. It's a faster buying experience. So 80% of uh, global consumers are using it now. Wait, one of the things that you mentioned, one of the words that you mentioned there was micropayments. And I remember that used to be a really, really big deal because credit card companies and other cash processors or, or, or financial transaction processors didn't like the idea of you using uh Something other than cash for things like a, a purchase of fifty cents or a dollar fifty or, or or two dollars. But now these kind of micropayments are a big deal. When did they become acceptable to the people who were trans you know, operating these transactions? For us, since inception, like I had mentioned, you know, we've we've revolutionized um, the gas, the air and vac space, the the laundry space, and this goes back five years now. And all of those transactions are considered micro. Uh, if you go in and inflate your uh, tire, you're paying, you know, a couple of bucks, right? If you're using the vacuum, it's a couple of dollars. Same thing with with laundromat. So it has really taken flight. I mean, I can speak to five years so far. You know. Um, it's extremely popular. Think of vending as well, right? Um, micropayments? Yeah, Grant, when, when did you start seeing these tiny, tiny, tiny payments, cashless payments? Well, in, in 1986, I launched a system in Victoria, B.C. It was a penny a minute. And the average charge was a dollar. And people said I was crazy. We we're full all the time. That's when we realized that people use a credit card for anything. Now, we didn't have tap and go. Well, we didn't even have online authorization. Right. Okay, we were saving it on a sloppy disk. But micropayments have, are not as new as you think. Micropayments in the mainstream might be new, but I found the acceptance of using plastic um, right away. Um, when we introduced it to the parking world, in the 80s, we had about a 1,000 meters out there, and they're the first ones anywhere in the world. Everyone was using them for 50 cents. Even though there was a charge, there was a much bigger charge then, um, and you didn't have multiple merchants, okay? Um, it was still big. But you didn't have, though, is the flexibility of just tapping. And so um, I think the micropayments of tapping is full-fledged, of course, yeah. You're absolutely right, Grant. Um, you know what it is? It's points. Everybody wants to collect their points. It doesn't matter how much, how little you're spending, how much you're spending. Exactly. You're spending 50 cents, you're spending $25. Your Visa card, your MasterCard is giving you points. Um, and as long as you can get that, you're going to use it. It doesn't matter what amount. Is that really driving things like, like you know, smaller payments? It's driving payments on card regardless. 
and to there's there's no cost to the, to the card holder. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I want to talk about this. Go ahead, Grant. So I believe that is the number one thing driving payments. So for example, when loyalty programs first came out, and as you know, we introduced loyalty programs in the 90s uh, when we had uh, in a previous uh, ownership company I had, and we had a tough time because people just couldn't get their head around what the heck is loyalty. Now it's a point that Everyone wants to be on the loyalty bandwagon and you want to consolidate points if you can, because you know what? They add up to major purchases. And my viewpoint is the future will be driven by the loyalty industry. And who's going to jump on board and offer what? Who's going to merge their points? Banks want customers. It's all about users for the banks and that and the, the merchants and so on. For us, it's all about points as consumers. So I view this as the as a major, major factor. Let me circle around to that question again. So what are the biggest changes for the payment industry during COVID, other than the fact that I have this $20 bill that's been in my wallet since last May? You said it. You haven't used cash in over a year. It is cleaner. It is cleaner to pull out your card and pay. It is cleaner to just tap on your phone, on your watch. You don't have to handle cash. Some don't even want to use their cards at this point for a cleaner experience. They don't even want to go into their own wallet and pull it out. Just face ID on your phone, tap your Correct. tap the reader, uh, tap your watch, and walk off. Right. I actually felt I actually felt really really funny digging into the change in the uh, center console in my car to bring out two dollars for an ice cream cone the other day. Um. Because I didn't want to touch the money. Mm-hmm. And and the person that was giving me the ice cream cone automatically had her reader sticking out the window at the drive-thru, expecting that I would pay for a $2 ice cream cone with my card. Absolutely. I was shocked to walk into the convenience store that didn't even take top. I don't think that changes. I, mean, I felt very uncomfortable. I went to the convenience store down the street and they don't take top payments. Correct. I, I couldn't believe it. I had to insert my card. I had to touch the pin pad. Ew. Who wants to do that anymore? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So how do you get people on board? How, how do you as Monix, how do you as Monix get merchants on board? I mean, there's got to be a process to say, this is why you should use Monix. Because, you know, I mean, you've got the little retailer and I know the, the, um, the, there's other companies that go out and, and, and try to create an experience, including websites and so on. Some of the greatest ones are our own Canadian companies. But how does Monix go? I get the big client. That's simple because they have an infrastructure. But there's all those little guys who want to accept this. Just Everyone wants to accept payment. And I think that's probably where Monix has a lot of strength in. Absolutely. I mean, our focus is to provide merchants with solutions. And that's what it is. We want to come and provide customers with a solution, either a solution for new revenue streams um, to be able to reduce reconciliation costs. uh, And we provide real-time terminal data and in-depth reporting to help them make better decisions. And all of this while offering highly competitive rates. So if we're able to fix a problem or problems that you have and be able to offer it to you with a solution that's actually going to reduce your overall costs, I mean, it speaks for itself. 
uh, we're not here to come in at the cheapest price. Um, th that's not what it's about. We want to solve your problem. Every merchant has a pain point or some pain points that need addressing, whether it's something in store, they need something wireless and they don't have an option. They want a solution that can give them um, in-store, wireless, online and unattended all under one merchant solution. That's unheard of in the market. It is very rare that you can go to a company that can give you everything from A to Z. And so we can provide everything under one one solution. And I think that's what most customers are interested in. Why would some merchants be reticent to using something like Monix? What are their what are their concerns? It's usually comfort. You know, a business typically when they first open, uh, they go walk into their bank, they open up their bank account. Along with that, they just they get their debit machine and it's and their credit machine and it's done, right? That's that's all they know. At the very beginning, that's that's just how it happened. And then they just think that just because they're with their own bank, that means they're getting the best option possible. And so it becomes education. Now a lot of a lot more of them are aware that there are non-financial institutions available that can provide them with the solutions that they need. It has become um, a lot more common now that they they understand there are companies that are not their banks that provide these solutions. But then it becomes a matter of comfort, right? I've been with my bank for the past 15 years. That's all I know. Um, so I don't need to change. Right. They don't think they have a reason to. And that's where we come in and we have to show them what we can do to drive more business, whether it's at a better price with more solutions um, or to make things easier for them. Yeah, my father has an issue. He's not a retailer, but he's a customer. So when somebody brings him a, a, a remote unit to the table to pay something at a restaurant, He's uncomfortable with it. He wants to go back to where you would dock the uh, the unit and and pay there. Uh, so, are you having? You know, how do you address customers who are reticent to use the technology? I'll be uh, frank with you. I haven't had that issue. I think uh, maybe maybe it's just my dad. Yeah, you know, business owners. A lot more people are adapting to to technology. And I mean, like I said, it's very rare that you even go out and find a solution that isn't contactless anymore. I, I was shocked at my neighbor down the street, but, but otherwise, right. Um, people want to adapt. I think it just becomes education. They just need to know what's out there. You know, uh, not everybody has heard of, of self-serve kiosk options and, and, you know, unattended card readers, right. It's just knowledge. They just need to understand what's available. But well, I think, I, I think I introduced those. In, in the 80s, and no one would use them. Now, now here's what I want to ask you, um, because you talk about solutions, because I think the small merchant, and I'm not trying to disassociate anything with the larger merchants. They're very important. They have the people, the work they have, media, they have marketing groups and all that. But I would think that Shopify had a big influence on what's going on with the, with the average size merchant. Absolutely. Shopify, merchants are... As I said, you know, when we talk about contactless, there are so many different methods of contactless. So most think about just being able to take, tap on the terminal uh, or on an unattended reader. But really contactless is not, not being in contact with the merchant at the time of the sale. So online is a big contactless experience as well. Um, and, you know, due to the unfortunate pandemic, it, a lot more customers have had to adapt and not just brick, but clicks. Uh, to be able to to keep their business alive. And so e-commerce has become a huge component of payment solutions. We're seeing that with our own customers. 
Uh, we're seeing that with the flow of of calls that we receive from conversations that we're having. Everyone needs to be able to go online, and so surely, you know, companies like Shopify understand that. So let's talk about security. I mean, one of the things that we hear about a lot these days are cyber attacks. Everybody is getting hacked. Lots of data is being um, breached. How does Monex secure things? What are you doing to secure payments? So as a reputable payment processor, we help merchants keep transactions secure by ensuring that all of our solutions that we bring to the market meet the latest PCI standards. Um, And they provide the most secure payment solutions certified to the highest standards, right? So as I was mentioning before, we partner with the largest global and robust networks. um, And none of the networks that we've had relationships with have had a breach of any kind. Um, We also work with merchants to make sure that they are remaining PCI. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but merchants undergo a lot of uh, requirements as well. Merchants are the problem. (laughs) Well, I think too many times you bring up the word, what what does the, um, what does the process do? They don't get, they don't get attacked. Who gets attacked are the targets. The, the, the merchants who do put in their own core standards and their own programs. And I think that's, that's where everyone kind of, Alan, and you know, Alan, we've talked about this on several uh, uh, podcasts. I think that the merchants, the, the smaller guys, it's tougher for him to be as secure in the old days, but not now. There's programs. There's, as you know, we work on very secure networks and there'll be more coming out now. And the challenge will always be See, from my standpoint, a touchless, a touchless um, transaction is not a card. It's not a tap even. That's one. It could be I look at it. It could be it recognizes my temperature and matches it to a card. And I think as you get to all that, the circumvention becomes less and the security becomes easier, which if we all then have our famous motto, peace of mind. And I think... Um, when you have something like Monex having all those options uh, and a broad base, it makes you know integrators much easier to go out and offer those offerings. Okay, so we've talked about using cards. We've talked about entering uh, data in a in a series of fields online. Talked about something like Apple Pay. What's the future? What, what else can there be to make these mobile payments even more frictionless and even more secure? Is it facial recognition? Is it something else? There are so many. I mean, look at what Locomobi is working on, right, Grant? I mean, license recognition. Um, I don't know if you're doing retina scanning. I mean, all of this advanced technology at the end of the day can somehow end up getting tied into a payment processing option from the back. Yeah, it's 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 object artificial intelligence. So um, if you're truly using AI, um, it's anything, and, and but. I think, Alan, what you're asking is we know it's anything, but what's really coming? Yes. I think dual authentication is next. Yes. Uh, in a big way. And, well, wait a uh, second. How would, how would that work? You're talking about two-factor authentication. How would that work with a card? Well, a card's the best one, uh, particularly a manual card. So if I go into um, a merchant and I buy something and there's a tap there. Right. It will have another authentication. It could be... It could be my face. It could be something else on my body wear. It could be anything, but what it doesn't have to be is a, is a pin. 
And it'll say, wait a minute, that's not, that's not Alan. That guy just tapped his card. The credit card's okay, but it's not Alan. So when you're using that, and I think the more we get to the bio e-commerce, uh, which I can't talk too much about today, but once you get to the bio e-commerce, it changes the world. Because once you get to bio and only the person that owns that credit card can ever use it, you have now solved the world. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I think we've talked... I think we've talked about this before. So this requires an awful lot of data. Well, we were on Barney's podcast, the last one. Well, yeah, it, this requires a lot of data to be stored or at least transmitted between multiple points in order to authenticate somebody's identity. Who, how does that, does that, is, how does that stay secure? Well, it's, 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 well, first of all, if you're partnering with forward thinking companies like Monix, um, you have mutual databases, you have dual dual databases in the cloud so that and then uh when you say forget about the security of the actual transaction of the credit card because that's secured by the processors exactly what you want to look at is the, the the data integrity because you see quite frankly i don't care if someone steals my card for five bucks right what i care about is they steal my identity because that's could be in my case ten dollars but in in Alan's case, a million dollars, right? For little guys like us, it's not worth anything. But, you know, we got rich guys like Alan, you know, we got to be, you know. Yeah. But um, so so what you got to be careful with, though, is how you're matching authenticity to data and where you're storing that data. It's not a lot of memory, Alan. Um, no. It's more if you're using cloud and you're using uh, cloud in a very quick and, and, and efficient manner, it's nothing. It's nothing at all to do. It's that people, here's what I really get tired of hearing. And I, and I love to hear um, the comments on this. Um, I've never been big on PCI certification. I've been bigger on PCI compliance. Because you see, I can get certified today. It doesn't mean I'm compliant tomorrow. Just because I say I'm doing this, I could change something tomorrow. No one knows. So I'm more interested in what are companies doing? Not who's certified. Right. Because certified is a buzzword that we all like. And it's also, as you guys know, a great um, uh, uh, form of revenue. <laughs> I've been through this my whole life, guys, whether it was the old days of other things. But in this case, uh, it's a money grab in a lot of areas. That Because in the end, it's about what you're doing with data, not the credit card companies. We we are going to assume that they're encrypting things properly. And I always got to laugh when people would say in their machines, I store 10,000 credit cards. And my answer to that was, I don't. <laughs> we don't want it. You know, don't tell people that. Um, and people that advertise that, they're crazy yeah. because no one can protect inside a machine everything 100%. And all it takes is that 1% and it's game over. So we don't want to do that. So I think what you have to be careful with is you have to decide how you're going to do transactions. Are you going to do it by porting data here and separating data here? And that's exactly. Um, are you conducting it face to face? Are you doing it online? Absolutely. I hope that answers it for you, uh, Alan. Well, this has been fascinating because I think in the last 18 months, 
with the pandemic, we have become much more conscious of how we pay for things, and we don't want to dig into our pockets for cash and coins. So learning how it's it's being done with all the curbside pickups, touchless uh, payments, and uh, online payments, uh, I think I feel a little bit better, certainly a little bit more informed about how, the, how this all works. I think that, uh, um, again, guys, I mean, I can tell you from my standpoint, I know pretty well every system out there. Uh, and um, I can tell you that uh, with the Monix system, from our standpoint, um, I feel it a real value add to anybody. I'm not, I'm not talking about just things I have, but um, it's so much easier yet secure. It's so much simpler. And I think that if we keep coming along with these type of simple applications that you take, people want peace of mind, guys. Yes. And you'll never have peace of mind when you're always wondering what's going to happen to you next. Okay. So it's not about one solution. It's about a group together coming up with solutions that in the background look like nothing's being done. It's all just nice. But really in the background, we're going like this, making sure that everything's um, working well. And that's how I look at it. Thank you for your time. Uh, and good luck with, with Monix going forward. Thank you very much for uh, your time. It was a pleasure to speak to you both. That's it for this edition of the Smart City Podcast. We'll be back soon with another program featuring more very smart people and their ideas for connecting us together through smart technologies. Feedback is always welcome. Send everything and anything to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. Again, feedback at thesmartcity.blog. Check out our website, thesmartcity.blog, for past programs, as well as who and what else is coming up. The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobile World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical productions by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time. 